This is Agile Storytime with David Ritter. Today's tale is an instance of the classical hero's journey, a call to a daring adventure, a crisis along the way that sparks a revelation, and at the end, the hero transformed. In Agile teams, the product owner is a pivotal role. They must balance building consensus with crisp decision-making, manage a wide menagerie of stakeholders with conflicting demands, analyze and synthesize a myriad of inputs, and finally set, articulate, and drive the team's priorities. In our experience, until an organization establishes and empowers effective product owners, no amount of agile process will create much impact. When we ask companies that have adopted Agile at scale what they wish they'd done differently, they almost universally say they should have paid more attention to developing successful product owners. BCG's own Becky Frederick recently took on this challenging role in a challenging situation, and at the end, was transformed. Uh, Becky Frederick, I'm a partner in our Seattle office and in our digital practice, and I do a lot of digital transformation work for clients across industries. Great. And before BCG? Oh, like... before BCG, I yeah. actually uh, am a, bio, a trained biochemist and cell biologist. I had about a 10-year career as an academic scientist uh, before joining the DC office back in 2013. Becky, we often say that Agile has to be experienced to be fully understood. As part of our work with a client, you recently had the opportunity to take on the role of product owner on an Agile team. Tell us about the situation. You know, I think the, the first Thing you said there, David, is very true. You have to kind of live agile to understand it in a fully deeper way. And my first exposure to it was uh, actually running product strategy and helping coach product owners for a major platform. And then, you know, fast forward a year and a half probably, and I was on a case where I was leading teams as a product owner to bring some e-commerce solutions to market. Suffice to say, I, I learned a lot through both of those experiences, but much more while I was hands in, in the backlog, really writing stories, trying to balance the diverse set of customer needs. And in this case, it was you know the end user customer, but it also, of course, there's a lot of stakeholders within the case team and within the client that were all clamoring for different different, different things and certainty that I, I really didn't have. Uh, I was working on a, a pretty dig digital transformation. We started with uh, one kind of pod or squad delivering this e-commerce site. And over the time that I was there, I wound up managing three different uh, products uh, that each had their own scrum team. You know, I was a principal at the time. And uh, one of the things we talk about a lot in PL and principal training is managing in all directions. And a lot of my role as a product owner, frankly, played to some of that kind of dynamic of, you know, manage the client and the expectations, uh, work with the partners and the, the MDPs to make sure that we were appreciating the broader context, work with the technical folks to, to get approval for the solutions. And then all at the same time, managing a, a pretty fluid team of developers and designers and architects that were actually building the product. That's and a great phrase, manage in all directions. That's uh, that's perfect as part of the product owner tool set. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think where it really comes to life as a product owner is everybody has their own idea of the prioritization of your backlog. It takes a bit of fortitude to really come through and say, this is the right, this is the right, given what we know now, the right prioritization for our backlog. 
And here's the three pieces of data that actually tell me that. So today, today we are still going to prioritize a quick test and learn on a bundle before I build in a whole recommendations algorithm because right. my team has told me that's going to take two weeks and I don't, I don't think it's worth two weeks more than adding these other three, three or four features that, that probably will actually add revenue. So no doubt you always had perfect data on which to base these decisions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, absolutely. All data is perfect, but, uh, uh, you know, I think that's where there's a minimum viable set of data. And I, I will say, you know, one of the things I really learned as, as a manager during this experience was how to trust others. Say more about that trade-off. How did you know you had enough data to make a good decision? Yeah, I mean, you never really know. There's just a, what level of confidence am I operating under? I have a pretty clear memory of sitting down with one of my experienced designers and we had come out of a case team meeting or a product demo with the client where they were at, they wanted a lot. And some of it just, my sense was it wasn't high value. And it was things like where the button was or the alignment of the color schemes, things that we would need to do eventually, but wouldn't actually tell us what we were trying to do at the time, which was what is the potential value of this offer? You know, I, I sat down with her and I, and we had this conversation. I was like, look, we need to do a few customer interviews. And I, I don't think we need to do a big fancy set of A-B tests. We just need a little bit of what matters so that we can put what matters less lower in the backlog. Had we not had that conversation, what a tendency might've been would be to go do a two week study on it. Uh, with A-B testing and experience, you know, the, the kind of card sorting and all of the traditional pieces that you can use to get really rich data. But I was pretty sure we didn't need really rich data. We just needed enough to be able to say, this is, this is more important now. Tell us about the first couple of sprints with this team. And as we know, the first few sprints with a new team tend to be pretty messy. It is definitely messy. We really weren't clear what we were building yet or that we had permission to build it. I think we really took a mindset of just get started. How did you know you were being successful? And basically it had to do with what was our addressable market that we could get marketing to, you know, what were the flow throughs from the marketing into the e-commerce site? And then what were the flow throughs at each step of the, the kind of buying process? We had benchmarks for what great looked like. That actually helped a lot in terms of later in our our development process where we needed to prioritize bigger chunks of work. You know, should I actually build a new marketing campaign or should I change where the shopping cart is on the page and whether it follows you? So this team owned the outcome of this e-commerce site, the actual sales, not just the delivery of the site. So this trade-off you talk about between running a marketing campaign or implementing new features, the team had end-to-end -end ownership of the entire result. Yeah. Completely, completely agree. Uh, and I think back to the earlier point around data, you know, sometimes that was as simple as we had mouse tracking from when folks got to the site. So we also had an idea of what was happening to drive those metrics. Similarly, we were doing a lot of A-B testing in our early marketing efforts and just frankly could look at raw click-through rates on different you know, layouts and very minimal rigor associated with some of the first pass of what matters 
to get us to, all right, now, now we need to actually optimize the marketing campaign, or now it's, it's a challenge that we've got carts that are sitting full that aren't getting, you know, converted into sales. Inevitably on these journeys, there are crises. I think some of yours centered on the formation of the team. Could you talk a little bit about that? It was terrifying at the time for me personally. I had never, I had worked in a, you know, with a lot of architects and engineers. I had a mental map for how software worked, but I am not a programmer and never have been. And I was both hiring developers to build something that I didn't know how to build, trying to build a team, doing it in a very challenging talent environment. We had, we had quite a few moments in the first three months where we brought someone on board who had, frankly, a great look in terms of how they were going to fit in the team. And a couple weeks in, our velocity would have slowed. You know, I had a, a very good relationship with the kind of my chief architect or architect, lead architect on the effort and with my lead full stack developer. And that is one of the things I did absolutely right, because when the really terrifying moments came of I'm going to roll off a contractor, it was really uncomfortable. I knew that I was doing it to help the rest of the team, not just because I had this sense that they weren't delivering. Becky, what advice would you give to someone taking on the role of product owner? Probably three buckets of advice. I think the first one is really get to know the product. I spent a lot of time on e-commerce sites during my time as a product owner there. We're not going to say what that did to my credit card bill, <laughs> but it meant I had a lot of examples of what products could do, what was the art of the possible, what was happening in the startup space, how were people selling socks online, what were customers expecting, what was their baseline. I think the second piece of advice is about how you find your right hand and know where your weaknesses are. For me, not being technical, I needed an architect that I trusted and I had a really good one-on-one -on -one relationship with them. We say a key attribute of a successful product owner is knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. Yep. The third piece of advice I would have is to enjoy it. I saw peers get caught up and worried about getting everything right and getting everything perfect. Had I done that, it would have ruined a lot of the experience. How did you get over that tendency to want to make everything perfect? <laughs> I found people that were smarter than me on things and helped, got them to shine. Specific example on that was a guy on the team who um, originally was just like in a quality testing role for the broader team. And as soon as he landed with us, and this is probably uh, six sprints into the actual build, he lands with us and realizes that uh, I have no idea what I'm doing on a backlog. My stories are terrible. Thankfully, we had enough alignment as a team that this was working out okay, <laughs> but it wasn't going to keep working. He rewrote almost all my stories one weekend. And I looked at it and I was like, I have two choices. I could either be offended or be really excited that someone that I've motivated someone to help out in a way that helps me learn and covers for the fact that I have no idea what I'm actually doing. And I think that relying on people around me is one of the biggest learnings I had from that time. It was pretty real. The product owner's journey, a call to a daring adventure, a crisis along the way that sparks a revelation. And at the end, the product owner transformed. 
Thanks, Becky. Please follow Agile Storytime for more informative, insightful, and inspiring stories. This is a podcast from Boston Consulting Group. For more information on enterprise agility, go to on.bcg.com slash agile.